Amen. And as you are seated, I encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, where Fritz read from just a few moments ago. Thank you, worship team. A little bit smaller team up here this week, right? A lot of times we think of life a lot like this season of year. You know, they have big Easter and, and there's the, everything's packed out and there's all this just excitement in the mountaintop. And then you sort of come back and you're like, hey, this, this is where it's at. This is where it's at with the body of Christ together. Most of our lives are honestly lived in sort of the normative parts of life, right? We get excited. We love those sort of elevated times of, of joy and excitement. But the reality in your life every day, moms, dads, workers, retired people is probably not excitement. It's kind of lived in that, that just normative part of life. And sometimes, sometimes we can begin to just feel like I'm kind of stuck here, kind of just here feel disconnected. I, maybe I feel discouraged. I feel maybe sometimes a little bit alone. Like I'm not really growing like I should and going like I should. But you know, Christ didn't just come to save people. He didn't just come for our salvation, but He came that for our transformation as well. You see, He desires for you to grow. That is part of what our relationship with Christ is. You were saved into a relationship with God. You're not just saved to go to heaven. You're saved to go to God. And that's what heaven's all about. is about being with God. But you're saved into this relationship with God and you are saved to grow in your resemblance of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're one of those this morning that... You don't feel like you're experiencing fully that growth. You feel stuck. You feel disconnected. Maybe you're even a bit discouraged. And I think we've all been there. Sometimes it can come passing, and sometimes it feels like there are seasons of it, doesn't it? Where you just feel like, I'm kind of the same person I was a week ago, or a month ago, or a year ago. I don't look much more like Jesus than I did before. I think today we will be encouraged as we think with Peter about this connection that we have with Jesus Christ. Because our connection with Christ doesn't depend on your performance. It doesn't depend on how good of a mom you are, how good of a dad you are, how good of a husband you are, how often you come to church, how much you give. It doesn't depend on those things. It doesn't depend on your feelings. In fact, your spiritual life and your identity are connected to the living rock. All you are and all you do is by God through Jesus Christ. And that is what we see in this passage today. I want to go back and read the, a portion of this passage and get us thinking about that very thing. Begin in verse 4 there. It says, as you come to him. It actually could be interpreted as you are coming to him. It's not a past tense thing. It's something that's happening now. Yes. Did we come to him in faith for salvation? Yes. The answer is yes. But we continue to keep coming to him. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, 
but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, there is something we are going to talk about today called our union with Christ. Every believer has something called a union with Christ. And what this is, union with Christ, means that you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And that has huge implications. It is so important as you to understand and then not just understand, but how to engage with that. How to, in your coming to Christ, live out this identity that you have. Galatians 2.20 probably explains the idea of union with Christ the best. And it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in other words, right here in this body, not a someday kind of thing. The life I live right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, this all sounds super spiritual and everything. And and yes, these are deep spiritual truths, but it has huge practical implications for how we live right now. And a lot of us, because we're sort of, from the time we're little, geared towards performance, we think that this Christian life is all about just how hard we work. And is there effort? Is there discipline? Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you think your spiritual growth depends on you, and especially on you alone, you're missing out. And you will feel disconnected. You will feel fruitless. You will feel discouraged. Because that's not where it's at. Paul says his union with Christ, as he talks through this Galatians 2.20, is that it is about Christ who lives in me. He is the source. He is the power for how Paul lived his life and for how we should live. It's a big deal. In fact, the believer's union with Christ is the lifeline of their spiritual life. Again, looking at 1 Peter 2, 4 through 5, they're going to have it up on the screen. Look at this with me. As you come to him, well, who's the him? The him is a living stone chosen and precious in the sight of God. Well, who is that living stone? Well, That is Jesus Christ. Peter, in Acts 4.11, filled with the Holy Spirit and with the Apostle John at his side, told the Jewish leaders, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Jesus is 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 that living stone. That's not a word we usually use about stones, right? Living. They're kind of dead. There's not. Matter of fact, if you want to compare something to being dead, you say, man, you're dead as a rock. Right. You don't get much more dead than a rock. But this is a living stone and and it's described as such. And you'll see to build a word picture for us in the verses ahead. But he doesn't stop with the idea that Jesus is the living stone. We're a bunch of rocks, too. Right. We are live. We're we're called living stones. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. And this is where we begin to see this idea of our unity with Christ. You see, we are who we are because of who he is. We do what we do because of what he is and does. 
We are living stones because he is living stones. We would be dead rocks, if you will, if it wasn't for the life that we have through the Son of God. Jesus Christ is that living stone and we, because of him, are living stones. It is, that's how closely our lives and our identity are tied to Jesus Christ. Our identity, who you are, who I am as a believer in Jesus Christ flows out of that. In John 15, we see how important that connection really is. I'm sure you're familiar with the passage in John chapter 15, Four to five, it says, abide in me and I in you. There's that union as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Where does the life of a branch come from? Comes from the vine, right? That branch is laying apart from the, the, the vine. It's got nothing. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You want to have spiritual maturity, spiritual fruit. You want to have spiritual wisdom. You know, whether you're a young person or a person in your 80s or 90s, it comes back to this coming to Christ. Coming back to the living stone, the living word, the way, the truth, and the life. It's about coming back to him, abiding in him, making full advantage of the connection that you have as a believer with the Lord Jesus Christ. The more you dwell in that connection, the more you vigorously draw upon that union, I think is a better way to say it, the more you will benefit from that flow. Many of us are living our lives. We're going through life. We're doing life. We're good workers. We're good moms. We're good dads. We're all those things. But we're not abiding. We're not vigorously pursuing that relationship with Christ. And you wonder why you're so empty, so discouraged, feel so disconnected. It may lie in that. There are other reasons. We can talk about those at other times, but but in this we find we need to draw on that beautiful union with the living word. It is our lifeline. It is your lifeline. And if you are in Christ, you have that lifeline, but are you drawing on it? If you're not in Christ, you don't have that lifeline. You don't know that life. You don't experience that. And you may think that you've tried Christianity and it doesn't work, but you haven't. Once you are in Christ, you are in Christ and you have access to everything you need for life and for godliness. Vigorously pursue it through discipline, through, through your, your time with God. But it is, a, it is a thing that God gives you in your salvation. It doesn't depend on your performance. In fact, your connection with Christ, your union with Christ is is such a beautiful thing because it does depend on his faithfulness, not yours. There's a there's a brother, uh, Rankin Wilburn. What a name, Rankin Wilburn. Um, puts it this way. He says in his book Union with Christ that our faith is fickle and wavering. 
But God's love is constant and steadfast. When I base my Christian life on my Christian experience, I become locked in the labyrinth of my own performance. I am only as sure of God as my current emotions and obedience allow. My eyes are fixed on me, myself. The gospel, the good news, is the way the Holy Spirit turns our eyes away from ourselves and upon Christ. The gospel brings you into union with Christ. Christ enters your heart and gives you faith. By that faith, you receive Christ and all his fullness. Faith fixes your eyes on Christ and rest in him. It is the perfect Christ who saves us, not our imperfect faith or our imperfect obedience. That's good news. Because one of the things that leaves me feeling most disconnected from Christ, most discouraged in Christ, is my own stupid disobedience. My own sinfulness. Now, I know this crowd, I'm sure there's nobody else out there. There's even sin this week. You've not been discouraged by your own performance. I have. And it's in those moments that I am reminded wonderfully that my Savior didn't just save me from my sins, but He is everything I need, even in this moment of my sin, to find help, to move forward in growth, and to mature because of what He's done. Because of this certain union with Christ, you are, you are not just like a cinder block. You're not just a rock. Stuck into a wall. You are a living stone. You are one in which he dwells, giving life. And because of that, your union with Christ joins you to a spiritually growing community. You're not only have a lifeline, but you're a living rock. You are, you are, you are a growing rock. Now that's again, I'm not talking about people are just getting added to, but you are a, you are a stone that's continuing to grow and mature. But you aren't put alone. You're put into a group, a community, a church that is a whole bunch of other rocks, a whole bunch of other living rocks. And that's what we see in First Peter 2.5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. Through Christ, you're individually transformed, Right? You yourself are being transformed, but you are also being transformed together with the body of Christ. You see, as you grow, the body of Christ grows because you are the body of Christ. You individually in your growth, if you come back changed, transformed tomorrow, next week, guess what? This church has changed. You've, you, this church has been transformed as each of its members is growing, is being built up in Christ. Growth and transformation happens most effectively in this community, in fellowship with other living stones. The body is intended for every member to function along with the rest of the body. And we are connected to Christ and we're connected to each other. And so as, as you grow, it affects how I grow. I am not just a stone with mortar between us that separates us. We are interconnected through the Spirit of God. And it is like if you're a visual person, this just begins begins to like, wow. So this is like this ever-increasing, growing building that God is building through His people and His church. And it, it, remember where it comes from, is, is from the living stone. We're part of 
him. And so as we think about this, this this connectedness is flowing into us and into his church. And the mission is then to go and reach more that they would be brought into this community, this church. Right. That together we grow to be a beautiful representation of Jesus growing, transformed. Right. It is a divine work that God is doing through his word. Romans 12:5 says, "So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of it. We're one body, individual members, but in no way disconnected." Are you living in such a way that communicates that you see that important integral nature of the body of Christ? Or have you chosen to sort of live separate? You can choose to try to do that, but let me tell you, you are not living out the unity that you have with Jesus Christ, and you're not drawing on the benefits that are had in the body of Christ. Now, sometimes there's things that trigger that. Sometimes when we are struggling inside, we feel like, eh, nobody wants to be around me. I don't feel worthy. I'm not, I'm not good as them. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's at those times when you most desperately need it. Young person, young person, you may feel like, "Uh, you know, they don't get me. They don't understand me. That's a lie. That's a lie. Jesus understands you. And if Jesus understands you, his body can come around you and provide what you desperately need in these times of discouragement and frustration. Aloneness. Live out that membership. Just like you're called to live out, to draw vigorously on that union with Christ, coming to Him, come to the body. Come be part of the body. And as He's, as you are part of that, He'll use that body to shape you with other living stones into a beautiful work, individually and together. Folks, I think God has been doing that in this place. I talked to people and I, I saw someone, not mention a name, just even a week ago. And they were at their, their place of work and they saw me and said, I love this church. It has, it has everything I've looked for throughout my life. And we talked about this, this idea of what a beautiful thing it is when the body of Christ comes together for the purpose in which it was intended. Not for to show us off or to somehow look good to others, but to come together in real, authentic, growing, transforming community that has a profound impact. And that's a beautiful thing. If you're not part of a fellowship like that, we encourage you to be so, and we encourage you to come be part of this fellowship. Come be part of what God's doing here because He is building up His church through His people, and sometimes it's messy, sometimes it looks like just people working through stuff, but that's what it looks like. You know, a construction site isn't usually very pretty, right? And that's what this is. It's a construction site. And God is at work, and He's, he's chipping stuff off, and He's doing good work, and there's people with real pain, real struggle, right? Real stuff of life. And it's in the midst of that that he wants to do his real and good and growing work. What is the purpose of our union? To what end is God growing his people and building his church? What is God after when he brings sinners into union with his son? 
You see, he's pursuing his own glory. He wants to be able to say, I did that. I did that. That work that you're seeing, I did that. Or to put it another way, union with Christ is ultimately about doxology. What's doxology? That's worship. The, the elevation, the magnifying of God. It is about the exaltation of, of the triune Lord, the Father, Son, and the Spirit. The one God who is blessed forever. And that is seen as he works through his people. God is building his church. Day by day we are being transformed individually and corporately into a more effective worshiping community. Because as we grow, guess what happens? There is authentic worship. As I see myself for who I am and him for who he is and where my, my strength and, and hope come from, guess what? I point to him. Right now in this church, if you were to point at one person who's making all this happen, you'd say, huh? we, don't even, we don't even have a senior pastor. <laughs> if you're a guest, we're not looking for one. We want to be the body of Christ together in union with Christ, living out our gifts of the Spirit together with other believers so that there's only one who gets the glory and that's Christ who is the head. And that is a unique thing when we can only point to Him and He gets all that glory. You see, the ultimate goal is that the believer's union with Christ joins them to a not just growing community, a transforming community, but a Christ-exalting community. First Peter, the end of the second half of First Peter 2.5 says, You are being built up as, notice we stopped there before, a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There's sort of a series we're going to look at real quickly there. But ultimately, we say around here that worship, worship is our passionate life priority. That is one of our, we say, is our core values. In other words, a core value is no matter where in this church you go, children's ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, outreach, whatever, wherever you slice this church and open it up, our core value should show up. This should be showing up right there. Worship is our passionate life priority. In other words, it's not just about seeing people come to Christ, it's seeing people glorify Christ. It's seeing people grow up and ultimately be worshipers of Christ, right? If you go to our website and read about it, it says something like this. Scripture expresses the worship of God by His people both as a way of life and as a planned corporate experience. As a fellowship, we seek to foster worship as a manner of life. We who have experienced the unbelievable mercy of God in salvation are to see our lives as a living sacrifice that is to be presented to God as an act of worship. Our corporate worship is an outworking of our individual worship. And if you follow this, what, what Peter wrote here in this, in this verse, you see that that's the outcome. Do you see it again? Spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You see, it's a divine work that he's doing that allows us to even be worshipers. And it's a divine work in us that creates in us a desire and a a clarity of worship to God. Yes, worship is our response to God, but he's the one working within us to make that happen. And that's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians prays this prayer. He prays, 
For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, listen to this, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. See that connection there again? With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You feel, you may feel disconnected through the week. But let me tell you, you are together with all the saints. And you are connected with the creator of the universe. That is no small thing. You may feel alone, but your union with Christ and the power that comes from that doesn't leave you alone. And it is a power that is to work in and through you in the quietness of your aloneness and in the corporate gathering of the saints. That it should show up. Young person, if you can grab onto this now, at this point in your life, that it isn't just about Sunday and then reading a a little bit of Bible, a little bit of Scripture every day, but it's about a pursuing, a coming to Christ daily to see him for who he is, that then I grow in resemblance to who he is, then out of that I glorify him for who he is as a worshiper of Christ. That will transform your today and it will transform who you will be in 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years down the road. See, Peter describes this community that is being built for an ever-increasing worship to God in a progression. First of all, he says, it's a spiritual house that's being built. We've said this a few times, as God builds you, he's growing his church. This is the only place I think that it's described as a house. Elsewhere we see it described as there's a foundation that was laid on Christ and the apostles, right? Well, on the prophets and the apostles with Christ as a chief cornerstone. But here he's describing us as being built up as a house. Usually it's like the ecclesia, the called out ones, right? The, the assembly, the, the ones who are gathered. But here we see that it's a work being done. Construction is not, doesn't, a house doesn't grow itself. A building doesn't grow itself. There is a, there is someone who is making that happen. In this case, he says, you are being built into the spiritual house. A temple, if you will. We're individually's temple. Individually, we are temples. We see in 1 Corinthians 6, you are a temple. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. But it's more than that. We are being built into this, this building, this living building called the church. So this unique building made up of living stones, comprises a holy priesthood. What's that about? What did, a, what did a priest do? A priest spoke the words of God to the people, right? They represented God to the people. Let me ask you this. Who represents God to the people? The body of Christ. We are a holy priesthood. We are, and, and there's, there's a couple of things there. First of all, a priest has a mission to do. He has a job to do. And, and that part of that job is to communicate to the people what God has to say. But it's also to, to pray for the people, pray for the people to God. But there's also part of his, his life was this 
idea of holiness. It's a holy, a set-apart priesthood. Part of being a priest of God is a set-apartness, a priestness, if you will. There's a, there is a representation of what, who God is, of what he's like. That's part of our mission. Part of our job is to live that out, to be a priest to the community. He is doing that work. He is providing in that union your ability to live out your priestness, your holy priesthood, every single one of us. In the Old Testament, they were assigned. In the New Testament, it's the priesthood of the believer. Every single one of us is indwelt by the Spirit of God. And so in this house, we are each both communing with God and with each other, and we are communicating to a world that needs to know who God is, that needs to hear who he is and see who he is. But then, third, Peter says that the purpose of this building, this priesthood, is to offer spiritual sacrifices. And these, these sacrifices, as it says here, are only acceptable to God through Christ. In other words, if I try to go out and, and just do good works, I'm going to be a, a good guy. I'm going to preach good sermons. I'm going to go give lots of money. I'm going to go teach children Sunday school. I'm going to be, I'm going to volunteer for vacation Bible school, right? I'm, man, I'm going, and I'm going to choose the toughest class. Wow, you must be really spiritual. That's quite a sacrifice you're making. Well, maybe. It may be a sacrifice of time and energy and all those things. But God says, if that is not as a work that is done through Christ. In other words, as Paul would say, not I, but Christ who lives in me. Right? He said, I work harder than all of you, but not I, but Christ who is at work in me. If it is a true desire for the glory of God through the power of God, empowered by the Spirit of God... Man, that is a beautiful spiritual sacrifice. But just because you sacrifice things doesn't mean you're a, it's a spiritual sacrifice and it's only acceptable through Christ. And we talked last week was, was Easter Sunday. It was about the sacrifice and the resurrection of Christ. And, and it is through that that we can be in connection, in union with Christ, that this might be produced. So what are some of these spiritual sacrifices? Real quickly, first of all, praise and thanksgiving. Great verses on that is Colossians three sixteen through 17. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father through him. So the verbal praise, right? Friends, if you can't give praise to God, you are not drawing deeply on your union with Christ because there is so much to give thanks to God for. And, and so maybe you aren't. And if you aren't, then you're going to be dry. You're not going to have anything to share. Why? And where do we get that? It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly, not just put a little, put a little scripture in you. Get a, little, get a little bit of the word. Let it dwell richly in you. Let it, let it take root. Let it grow. Think on it. Dwell on it. Respond to it. Right? Interact with it. Let it dwell richly and in you. And then as a result, it will produce this thanksgiving. Another is holiness. First Peter 1, 22 and 23. We read it a couple weeks ago. Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. 
Love one another earnestly from, from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. You see, the word of God produces praise. The word of God produces holiness. And we see that it produces service. Romans 12, 1 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service. And all this worship, all this Christ-exalting worship of God is rooted down here, I see, in verse 6 of First Peter chapter 2. It says, for it stands in Scripture. I love that. It stands. Your, your Bible may say, it says. That's good. It, you know, it says it. Great, it says it. The word here is this idea that it, man, it stands there. It's, it's there, and what are you going to do about it, right? Okay, it's, it's, if the law is the law, the word, if, you, if, if it's posted and the police officer stops you and you're speeding, he says, well, there it stands. There's the sign. Okay, you're like, yeah, but, you know, I was in a hurry. I, uh, hey, all I can tell you is there it stands, right? There it stands. And that's how Paul is on this. He said, for it stands in Scripture. In other words, it wasn't just written one time and there it was. He's like, no, there it is. Here it is for us. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Hmm. Heard that earlier, didn't we? Like in verse 4. And whoever believes in him, listen to this. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Friend, if you have by faith trusted in Jesus Christ, you won't be disappointed in the last day. He says, if you're banking on him, he says, I stand on scripture as you stand on the promise of God and you'll not be disappointed. You will not be ashamed in the last day. He will come through. He said it. He promised it. It's settled. It stands. Our faith in Christ and our worship of God is one which will never disappoint. And in the end, in the end, its value will be seen for what it truly is. The only disappointment on that last day will be for those who have in this life rejected Christ, who have disobeyed the truth, who've lived a life in rejection and disobedience to God. See, not everybody who is attending church is part of the church. Not everyone who is here today is in Christ. Not everyone here is being transformed in Christ. Not everyone here is part of that community, truly part of that community. Not everybody here is here ultimately to give praise and worship and honor and glory to God. There's a number of reasons you could be here. But the reason that it's so important that you understand this is because if you are not here in Christ, it's because you will be ashamed. You will be ashamed in that last day. You will stand before him and he'll say to you, depart from me. I, I never knew you. And you may say, oh, but Lord, I've, I've preached in your name. I've cast out demons in your name. I've served in indie outreach in your name. I'm even part of Alabaster Jar Indy in your name. I, I do children's in your. Ah, but, but I never knew you. 
I never knew you. If you are in Christ and He is in you, oh, He knows you. He knows you. And you are known and you are forever known and you are forever secure and you will never be put to shame. In fact, in verse 7, He goes on to say, so the honor is for you who believe. You share in His honor. You share in the honor of Christ. You will stand before Him and the Father will see you clothed in the righteousness of Christ because you are in Christ and He will... You will share in His honor, not because of anything you've done, but because of what He has done. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that, and He, he shares the exam, this example, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You see, the believer's union spares them a tragic destiny. The believer won't face that humiliation. In 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31, it says, because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. There's that union again. Anytime you see in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Martin Luther shares an illustration of how this works. And he shares it from the idea of marriage. Listen to the picture that he gives of how this union in marriage results in us benefiting from Christ. Faith unites the soul with Christ as a bride is united to her bridegroom. By this mystery, as the apostle teaches, Christ and the soul become one flesh. And if they are one flesh and there is one between them, and there is one between them, a true marriage, it follows that everything they have, they hold in common, the good as well as the evil. Accordingly, the believing soul can boast of and glory in whatever Christ has as though it were its own, and whatever the soul has Christ claims as his own. Now, this, just in real simple terms, means that we can have his righteousness, we can have his power, we can share in his honor. And what does he get from us? Our sin, our shame, our humiliation. He takes on ours and it doesn't, it doesn't cause him to be impure, but we take on his righteousness and we stand honored before him. That is a glorious mystery. And while the living stone, Jesus Christ is the foundation, the cornerstone of our faith, it shares here that the same stone is rejected by unbelievers, and it is actually a stumbling stone. It ultimately becomes the stone on which judgment is rendered. You see, when some people encounter Jesus, they don't see him for who he is, and it trips him up. It may be a number of different reasons they're tripped up spiritually. It may simply be, in part, obviously, spiritual blindness. It can be cultural issues, mental objections, can be different hang-ups, unanswered questions, which I think everybody here probably has an unanswered question or two. They're looking forward to seeing resolved when they get to heaven. But when we allow those things to keep us from coming to Christ, we stumble over it and fail to come to Him, the living stone, the one who does supply everything we need. You see, There is salvation 
in no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He alone is that name. The one who finds shelter in the living stone rests secure in his righteousness. The one who rejects faith in Christ faces him in their sin alone. They stumble. Why? What does Paul say or Peter say there? Because they disobey the word. I, well, they don't necessarily disobey the word. How many people never read the word? They just ignore it. Well, you're forgetting. A lot of times we think of the word just as this, but when they disobey the word, he is using it in the sense of they disobey the living word, the living stone, the one who calls to all men to repent, to repent. That was the first message of Jesus on earth was to repent. And that is the message to all in the world today to repent and by faith believe. Those who do not turn in faith to Christ have displayed, had disobeyed his call to repent and believe. And John 3.18 puts it this way. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. As long as Christ remains a part of us, outside of us, we remain condemned already. In fact, he goes on in First Peter to talk about as they were destined to do. And you're like, whoa, time out, big man. That's a, That's going to be a hang up for me right there. As they were destined to do. Did you know that you were destined for wrath? You were. Some of you I know are already getting a little uncomfortable. No, I'm a believer. I was elect. I was chosen. Oh, my friends, why don't you go to Ephesians chapter 2? Because you, along with everyone else, lived as a child of wrath. Apart from Christ, apart from His work of regenerating and bringing you to life, you were destined for that outcome. Wrath. And in His mercy, in His grace, He has saved. Apart from His grace, reaching down and plucking you out of that line of, of, of men and women on death row, dead men and women walking, your destiny was wrath. But God, because of His great love, it goes on to say there in Ephesians 2, because of His great love and His marvelous grace has made us alive together in Christ. That is the glory of our union with Christ. But it comes with that warning, right? A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word. As they were destined to do. And you may say here today, hey, pastor, um, I'm afraid that I'm, that's my destiny. I'm afraid that that's what I'm chosen to do. Scripture doesn't give you that. Doesn't allow you that out. You, in fact, in Acts 2.21, Peter says this in his sermon at Pentecost, and the Apostle Paul repeats the same thing in Romans 10.13, 10, and it shall come to pass that everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you can get all hang up and tangled up on the sovereignty of God and election and all that garbage, and you can use it as an excuse, and you can stumble over the stone. 
Or you can believe what that says, that when he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Or you can go to Revelation chapter twenty-two, seventeen, when it says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who is thirsty, come. Let him who desires take the water of life without price, come. That is an authentic invitation. It is not just words on a page. It is the Spirit of God proclaiming the word of Christ saying to you, dear friend, come unto me and be saved. Friend, this morning, come to him. Come to him. If you are not in Christ today, I bid you come. Come to him in repentance, turning from your sin and turning to him and in faith and resting in him. His work, His righteous life, His perfect death on your behalf. Rest in Him. You will not be ashamed. But if you're a believer, I say keep coming to Him. Keep coming to Him. Don't sit and think, oh, it's just not happening for me. No. Vigorously draw on the union that you have with Christ. Delight in His Word. Draw in His Word. Even when it seems dry. Let it flow into you and dwell richly that the living Word of God might do its work and you might enjoy the benefits of the, of the lifeline, the growth and the transformation and the worship that results as part of that. Come to Christ and live. Come to Christ and grow. Come to Christ and exalt the eternal Creator. Come to Christ and never be put to shame. That's the joy of the living stone with whom we dwell in union as living stones. Let's pray. Gracious Father, may we delight in who you are, knowing that it is out of who you are that we both are all that we are as believers and as we grow up into who you desire for us to be. I pray that you would get the glory from doing that beautiful work in our lives. And sometimes, Lord, that's messy because it requires us to acknowledge the stuff that, that isn't part of that union. The stuff that, that needs to be pushed out, gotten rid of. That we might dwell in holiness, looking more and more like our Lord Jesus in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes. And Lord, do that in each of us individually. And Lord, we cry out to you and ask that you would do that in us corporately. May you do such a clear work of repentance and revival and faith in this place. That that spiritual house you're building will be a beautiful edifice for the glory of God. Not about size, but in reflection of the true Holy One. The true living stone. And God, may you be glorified to do it for your name's sake. For it is not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name be all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name.